Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Hey, everybody, this is Cliff, and uh, I wanted to give you the lowdown on this next episode here. We thought we'd try an experiment and watch a Finding Bigfoot episode in real time and kind of talk about what went on behind the scenes and heckle each other, and you just have fun with it. It turned out pretty good, but we also realized that a lot of people out there listen in their cars or while they're doing other things and not necessarily next to a television. So for you people, what we did is we edited down our one-hour Finding Bigfoot episode episode banter into a shorter, more condensed version. And that's what you're going to be hearing right now. But if you would like to watch the episode in real time, we're going to release that as bonus material on Wednesday. So again, you can watch the actual Finding Bigfoot episode. And we restarted at the very beginning, um, episode one, season one, and you can watch it along with us, with Bobo and I and special guests. Um, As you're seeing the images, Bobo and I will be heckling whatever's happening up there. You know, you get the idea. That'll be a special thing that's coming out this coming Wednesday if you want to, you know, play along with us. But again, this particular episode you're about to hear is a condensed version of all of the comments and everything like that. But don't play along. Don't play the episode along with it. It'll be weird. Or maybe do, because it will be weird. Either way, I hope you enjoy it. No matter what, please do tell us if you enjoy this sort of thing. If this is something you want to see more of, you can always go, you can email us at uh, bigfootandbeyondpodcasts at gmail.com to tell us your thoughts. Um, I would, of course, encourage you to listen to the episode before you tell me how terrible it is, but haters gonna hate and lovers gonna love. This is all for you guys. Appreciate it and keep it squatchy. You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Good afternoon, Bobo. How you doing? Good, Cliff. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. A little excited. We have a brand new type of episode today, kind of an experiment. You ready for this? Uh, Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it could be a lot of fun or it could go horribly wrong. So um, either way, our listeners are in for the ride with us. We'll see what they have to say after this whole thing's done. I'm sure we'll get plenty of feedback on it, good or bad. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and fill in the listeners on what we're doing today. Uh, We thought it would be kind of fun to basically watch either television shows or movies or something like that with Bobo and I, you know, giving commentary along the way, you know, saying things that we think about it or heckling the people on camera or whatever it is. And of course, we can't show the video and play the audio because that's, you know, that it's owned by whoever. Um, It's owned by big networks. And of course, we don't want to get sued. But we're going to try to do episodes of things that are available at home for other people on various streaming services or on YouTube or something like that. So what better way to start this kind of uh, experiment than watching Finding Bigfoot? 
Bobo and I are going to tell you behind the scenes stuff and tell stories and uh, share things that perhaps didn't make the final edit. And there's a ton of that stuff. Dude, um, I, can go, I can go all day on that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll try to keep the episodes less than four hours. Um, <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of describe the scene. So you've seen the episodes. You're going to know what we're talking about. And, um, and you're going to hang out with Cliff and Bobo and occasionally special guests and watch an episode. And speaking of special guests, uh, I thought the easiest and lowest hanging fruit we could possibly grab would be Matt Pruitt. Now, Matt, of course, is a legitimate Bigfooter in his own right. Um, he's part of the NAWAC, and he's also our producer and editor. So he's our editor and producer for Bigfoot and Beyond podcast. But he was also on the crew for the very, very first episode aired of Finding Bigfoot, the Georgia episode. Season one, episode one, the Georgia episode where we investigate the dash cam video where that thing runs across the road in front of the cop car. Matt was a producer on that show, and uh, we thought it'd be fun to have him on. He can kind of give us a little insight into his experience filming one of the very, very first Finding Bigfoot episodes. So Matt's out there somewhere. Matt, can you hear me? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to make. That was in my hometown of Helen, Georgia. So it was uh, probably the first exposure that Helen ever had on TV. So I guess the uh, the city owes me a little bit. <laughs> they owe you everything. Yeah, um, yeah. I built this town. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go then. Here we go. Everybody ready? Get your you know, fingers on the play button here. Bobo, ready? Oh, you know it. All right. Play. Oh, I love how it starts out with Bobo just running. I wish every TV show started out with that. Oh, we're all so young and thin. Well, look at Renee. She looks so young. So does Cliff. I know. Young, skinny Cliff. 11 years ago this was. It's a long time. Oh, 10 years ago, actually. It was February of 2011 we filmed this. Where did that video come from, the dash cam? That was right over the county line in Lumpkin County, Georgia, near the town of Dahlonega. I actually grew up with the officer who captured that footage. He was a guy I grew up with, I knew for a long time, and so he was very aware of my interest and in what I did. And I was living in Seattle at the time, and he called me immediately after that happened. He was actually on his way back to the station, and he said, I think I might have video of one of these on my dash cam. They hadn't even gotten back to the station to review it yet. And uh, it was a big deal. You know, we were all pretty excited about it. And I actually had to fly back to Georgia to view it because at the time it was on this proprietary like law enforcement uh, file type that you had to view through this thing called ICOP was the only player that you could use to view that stuff. So I had to fly all the way back to Georgia to look at it. So, of course, during that time, like my expectations were so high. And so, of course, as you see, the video isn't quite as detailed as we all wish it was, but it was very interesting for sure. Now, of course, the, the police officer didn't want to be on the episode. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, at the time, he still worked for that sheriff's department. Uh, this woman that you see there, Mary Scott, um, her son actually worked for the sheriff's department, too, at the same time. And so she was a, a civilian ride-along for quite a few of these officers during some of their patrols and things of that nature. But because my friend was still working there, he was a little afraid of being you know, associated with the production about it. We actually did a show a couple of years ago for Discovery on the Science Channel called Strange Evidence. And uh, he did appear in that to talk about the dash. Oh, he did? So, yeah, so he subsequently talked about it on camera, but at the time just was not willing to risk it, wasn't willing to do it, which was unfortunate. I noticed I got tape on my fingers. Like that's, yeah, because I just came straight from crabbing, and you always tape your fingers up because you get, like, slices and stuff. Yeah, but don't you also shower after you come home from crabbing, bubs? If I have time. A lot of times I just come <laughs> home and get food and go back. Well, I'm glad I didn't sit next to you on the plane. 
You know, something important about this dash cam video is that uh, having a dash cam is a very inexpensive and very effective way of going bigfooting. Um, uh, my contractor, Keith, he's we're kind of turning him into a bigfooter. He's really into it right now. He just bought um, a really high quality uh, dash cam for $100, $100, which isn't really that much money when it comes to bigfooting gear. And so when, if you're driving around in Bigfoot country, you slap a, a, a dash cam on, you might come home with your own footage because about yeah. half, about half of sightings of Sasquatches occur on roads at night. Uh, that, that's pretty good odds as far as Bigfooting goes. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate that the actual dash cam footage is such a low resolution and it's right at the edge of the headlights. And Because, you know, both uh, the officer and Mary Scott could see it really clearly. I mean, they both described to me in, in great detail how clearly they could see it, but it just does not translate at all in the video. Yeah. Then there's that whole cover story that the police uh, came up with about finding the kids with the suit on the car yeah. and stuff. And of course, it went right over a barbed wire fence. I, I have the measurements of that fence in my notes, but... uh it was quite, it's over four feet, if I remember right. And then went down into the woods. The cops got out afterwards and looked around. <clears throat> he even said he saw ice shine or something. Let's get a little bit deeper to the dash cam here. Because again, the police officer got out and looked around and shined his light down in the woods. There was ice shine. There was a barbed wire fence there. Um, there's a lot more going on here. And then, of course, there was some sort of cover-up story from the police department or something like that. Some sort of a, no, this didn't happen. Nothing to see here. Move along. You know, one of those things. What can you tell us about that, Matt? Certainly. So, yeah, like I said, he called right after this happened. And I was living in Seattle at the time. Uh, it was 2009. And he described what had happened. He said, we're on the, our way back to the station right now to look at it, to see if I actually got it. And so, you know, not much was made of it. There was some discussion within the station. Um, you know, it was interesting, but inconclusive. And so after some time, you know, we had put together some kind of info kits for a few potential episodes once Animal Planet had picked up the show. And so I pitched this North Georgia episode through Moneymaker because I was a member of the BFRO at the time. And I had all these witnesses and various things I had collected over the years, including that dash cam footage. And so that got greenlit. So during that time, I had reached out. I mean, there was no crime associated with it, right? And so anything that's documented in those cases is, is public record. It's you You have a right to it. So I said, okay, how can I get, you know, formally a copy of this and file a request? And so it was during that process and uh, the producer, Natalie Hewson, had gotten permits to film in the Chattahoochee National Forest. And so there was some kind of like town hall meeting about the goings on, like chamber of commerce kind of a thing. And someone had brought up, oh, yeah, this production company working for Animal Planet got permits to film in the National Forest. They're doing this Bigfoot show. And so that started this little local news story in an outlet called the Dahlonega Nugget, uh, because Dahlonega is where the first gold rush in America happened. So that's why it's called the Dahlonega Nugget. And so they had gone to the sheriff and said, hey, what about this? And he had basically said, oh, yeah, you know, I actually went out there the very next day and was uh, knocking on doors. And then I found these kids and they were very nervous and I grilled them about it. And then subsequently, their father came to me and said, hey, are, are my boys in trouble? Uh, because it was actually them in a suit. And he said, well, no, they're not in any trouble and let it go at that. And so that was kind of the version that got passed around and printed at the time. My friend that was an officer there at the time was like, well, that's the first I've ever heard of that story. Because again, this happened in May of 2009 and we were getting the permits and all this to film in uh, January of 2011. And so no one had ever heard this version of the story that the sheriff had gone out there on his day off to investigate something where no crime occurred and it solved the case without telling anyone. Huh. So we all 
thought that was pretty suspicious, you know, when we were filming that episode. Remember, Moneymaker actually went in there and he was trying to talk to them. They wouldn't really talk to him on, on yeah. record about it. Yeah, Moneymaker has balls, man. That's one thing you got to give that – one of many things you got to give to that guy. We He, he kind of almost – strong handed the entire production company caravan to pull over to the cop shop where, you know, the, the police officers were based out of and went in and went to the counter and kind of started, you know, pushing and prodding and poking and demanding and stuff and to no avail, but man, moneymaker has cojones. Yeah. So the version that we got uh, a few years ago when we did this thing for the science channel for strange evidence was he said that he had gone out there uh, Sheriff Gerard had gone out there and that the suit was laying in the yard of this house surrounded with beer cans and that the kids came out and laughed and fessed up to it and that he took photos of them posing with the suit, which was like vastly different than the original story he had told. And so who knows? Obviously, we'll never know whether it was a Sasquatch or not. But yeah, it, it did move very quickly in the dark. It crossed a four-strand barbed wire fence effortlessly, and then they could still see it. If, if you watch the raw dash cam footage, which I'm sure is online at this point, when he gets out and he's shining the light down there, not only can he see it, but Mary Scott can see it. And she's saying, she's like, look, it's right there. It's right there. It's swaying back and forth and back and forth. So she's describing in real time, seeing it still standing there, you know, while this patrol car has its lights and sirens on, you know, so if it was a guy in a suit, he knew he was busted and to stand out in the open like that when an officer is armed and, and ready for something, it's probably not the best idea, but, but who knows? So yeah, there was, there was some weirdness about the quote unquote cover story, or at least the response story, however you want to frame it from the uh, sheriff's department there. Well, you know, a, a lot of stuff, like whether sightings, Patterson, Gimlin film footprints, so many things that pop up in, in, in the Bigfoot world, People later come out and make some sort of story about it just to kind of smooth things over or, no, that never happened. Oh, this and that. Then you get two or three conflicting reports. And that's one of the things. You just kind of have to look at uh, the various conflicting reports about any particular piece of evidence and think, well, if all the – especially the conflicting reports are coming from one person. They say, well, it it can't all be true, so maybe the real thing actually is true, you know, in this case, the the dash cam video. And, you know, uh, Mary and then the officer in the car, they both apparently thought it was a Sasquatch at the time. We'll never know, like you said, but I think it's pretty compelling nonetheless. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices. Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso, and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. All right, so we jump back in? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the early episodes, you kind of have to explain what thermal imaging is, because back then, 2011, it wasn't nearly as common as it is today. That's that backpack I had that had screws straight to my back. Oh, they were, they're, they're always terrible, but they were the worst back then. Yeah. Yeah, this was actually filmed in Smithgall Woods, which is a, it's managed by the Georgia State Park System, it used to be called Duke's Creek Woods. But, you know, there was no public land to film near the dash camp site. So this is actually, uh, the house I grew up in sits literally on the boundary of this, which is then surrounded by the Chattahoochee National Forest on the northern and western sides. Uh, But so these are the woods I grew up playing in as a kid, literally like walking out the back door straight into this multi-thousand acreage state-owned conservation area. And there were sightings coming from 
people seeing Sasquatches moving in and out of this area, one of which is in this episode that we'll touch on when that comes to that. But it was kind of cool to see that and then especially to see it in the intro of every episode because Moneymaker says his kind of uh, tagline spontaneously out there. But it was a it was a good area. If you guys remember, it was awfully cold, like being in North Georgia in February is not just because you're in the south doesn't mean it's any warmer, you know. It was also uh, kind of fun and exciting later to see clips of this being parodied on uh, Talk Soup with Joel McHale afterwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they heckle me pretty hard for practicing Bigfoot calls in the shower. But, I mean, how does he do it, you know? Yeah, here's the recap, of course. And, they, you know, you may notice that Moneymaker is almost always the person doing the recap. And part of that is because he lives in L.A. or just south thereof. So a lot of times he can come in and do these voiceovers and stuff. Um, but the tradition kind of started early. Yeah, because he could drive there. Oh, Moneymaker caught so much crap over that claim, and he discovered wood knocks. Well, technically, I got to give we got to give them some credit though. Now, the first written account of tree knocks was from Bob Titmus in the yeah. like late. Well, yeah, actually, he wrote it in the late fifties, and it was published later. But um, he noticed while he's in Bluff Creek tracking one of the Sasquatches in nineteen fifty eight or fifty nine um, that it sounded like it was banging on a log with another stick. Now, that's the first written account. But to be fair, I'm not aware of any other earlier accounts of trying to elicit responses from Sasquatches. See, Moneymaker, when he was going to law school in eastern uh, Ohio, he was hanging out with the Mennonites a little bit because they were seeing these Bigfoots in this one valley. And one of the Mennonite farmers commented to Matt that uh, he noted that um, when he's out chopping wood, you know, pop, pop, sometimes they would get answers from the woods. Of, and what they thought were Sasquatches because they'd been seeing them in the area and there were deer kills and all this other stuff. So Matt kind of put two and two together. So you got We got to give him credit because I'm not, a, I'm not aware of anybody earlier than the mid nineties trying to knock to get responses from Sasquatches. So Matt didn't discover tree knocking, but he was the first person to my knowledge, at least that uh, was trying to get responses from them by doing so. That place is actually, it's closed at night. They, they close gates and the overnight camping is only by permit only. Uh, so when we were getting those permits, you know, I was able to kind of impress upon the people there that, uh, you know, I was a local, I grew up there, I had all this familiarity with everything. And so we got a lot of access to a lot of things. Not only did, you know, they gave us all the access to Smithgall to be wherever we wanted to be, but it was the same with the Chattahoochee National Forest at night. They gave us a master key that would open all the gates in the National Forest and said, yeah, just be careful. Go have fun. Uh, nice. So it was uh, definitely a treat for me for having, you know, spent so much time out there to get that kind of access as a result of the production. There are certain perks to being associated with the TV show. There's Helen. It's certainly a, an odd place to grow up for sure. It's the third biggest tourist town in Georgia. So there's Atlanta, Savannah, and then Helen in terms of like annual visitorship. It's so uh, Dude, that it's candy a, store is killer. Well, the owner of the candy store remembers one of the uh, the witnesses. Yeah. Yeah. She sent me a box of candy in the mail one time after we were there. Yeah. A few of these people, because, you know, the town hall, there was no there was no uh, precedent for town hall meetings because the, the show was still kind of coming together in terms of format. And so it was just like this last minute thing like, hey, can you call a lot of your friends and have them show up? So it looks like there's this meeting. And so a lot of the people you see in this audience are witnesses that I knew from other areas, uh, people I went to high school with, people I've known since like elementary school and other friends of mine. So that was uh, kind of neat to get everyone there together and see them on camera together. It was a small little thing, though. I think there were like six or 12 people total and or six witnesses and 12 people or something. Uh, yeah, it was very much a last minute thing. 
Yeah, this woman, Darla, I've known her since sixth grade, and she had contacted me about these tracks that her husband found up on Bull Mountain, literally as we were putting together this episode. And so the timing was really serendipitous, and no one knew we were putting it together. You know, it was like totally hush-hush up until that point. So it was like, oh, there's this chance that those tracks still might be out there. And, you know, would her husband's name's Jeff. He's a really cool guy. It's like, hey, do you think Jeff would be on camera and talk about having found these? And so a lot of serendipitous things came together to make all this happen for sure. Can I always think Moneymaker looks the same besides his hair length? Like his, but he does look, he looks really young there. Yeah. Besides his, uh, Matt's youthful appearance, I think the Bull Mountain thing was probably the highlight of the episode. Of course, second to Matt's youthful appearance. <laughs> this scene where Janet's describing having seen that male cross the road, it was following Duke's Creek moving west to east out of Smithgall Woods. And where this spot is, is, is maybe between half a mile and a mile from the house I grew up in. So it's like I could walk down the hill and end up at this spot of the road, like right down there on Duke's Creek. And so her sighting was actually one of the very first ones that I investigated in the, my early years of collecting stories from local witnesses uh, around North Georgia. Uh, but she saw that thing on, on Thanksgiving Day of 1999. And interestingly, like the encounter that I had that got me started on all this was right in that same general area in the summer of 1999. And so it only occurred to me like, you know, a, a year or two later after interviewing her that, oh man, what we experienced might've been the same individual that she saw. You know, she's describing how this thing froze, like froze on one leg or whatever in front of her car. And, and, and cause it got scared and then turned and looked at the car before it bailed. And we filmed this a week after the, uh, the the North Carolina episode where we saw that thing up on the hill, the, there's something on the hill, like that thing. One week later, now Matt was convinced that that was a human being um, spying on us or whatever. But during this filming of this particular uh, scene, like right here, Matt turns to me, like after he hears Janet describe this thing, stop and stare at like, you know, pause in mid stride. Matt turns to me and goes, oh my God, maybe that thing was a Bigfoot last week. It's the only time he's ever even broke a little bit on that, to my knowledge, at least. On the outside. He knows it on the inside. I don't know if you guys remember the pizza joint that we ate at a couple of times, but there's a, a buddy of mine who moved down to North Georgia from Pennsylvania, and he opened a couple of local restaurants and businesses. And he has this uh, this pizza place called the Nakuchi Tavern. Um, Nakuchi is the uh, Cherokee word. It's a valley that's right there, the Nakuchi Valley. And so... Um, one day, uh, you know, I'd been doing Bigfoot research for quite a while. And he said, hey, you know who my business partner here, my co-owner is, don't you? And I said, no. And he said, it's it's Tom Slick. And it was actually Tom Slick's son, mm. you know, the famous uh, philanthropist Tom Slick, who funded the first Yeti and the first Bigfoot research that was formalized. Uh, his son co-owned that business. And so we got to talk and and become acquaintances. And he had really cool stories about meeting and speaking with Grover Krantz and John Green and Peter Byrne. So we wanted to try to have some kind of in to film there and to have him on camera to talk to you guys, to have this like piece of Bigfoot history that just happened to be in North Georgia. And I remember like one of the things that Natalie and I kicked around is like they had this contest where if you ate this giant sandwich and you drank a pitcher of beer within a certain amount of time, you'd win some prize, but you'd get on like the wall of fame. And so we were like, oh, maybe Bobo could do that. I could. I think Natalie floated it to you and not me. But I remember you'd be like, damn it, Pruitt. I'm not doing that. Why, why'd you tell him I'll do that? I'm not your monkey. I'm not going to dance for you. And you were so mad at me for even like suggesting that 
And I was, I was like, because at that time I was like, well, you kind of eat like that anyway, right? And, and, <laughs> I, I, I was about 80 pounds heavier back then too. So I, I probably could have uh, made it a tip, but I remember you were not happy with me at all for having floated that idea. But then unfortunately, Tom Slick said, no, nah, I don't really want to be on camera. It would have oh, been- Oh, because they were trying to get me to do all kinds of stupid stuff, like the network, like, or the, not network, but the production company, like one- like yeah, they were, they wanted me to do like all like that wouldn't have been bad like that would have just been like on its own like hey you want to do that would have been like, hell yeah, but at the time I think I was because they prior to that like in Alaska and then North Carolina they wanted me to do like totally stupid things like rather like a bigger moron than I actually was. Well, I got to give props to my buddy Paul who owns that place. He did all of our catering for that shoot, which was like, you know, because part of my job, you know, I had all the witnesses and all the locations. And I, I have to thank you guys tremendously because they were going to, you know, use all these witnesses and the locations and everything I provided, like the, the dash cam stuff. And it was you guys who said, hey, you, you need to hire this guy, like pay him to be there because he can take us everywhere. He knows the locals and he knows his way around. And so they actually hired me as the field coordinator and fixer. And I'd never worked in television production before. But part of that job was like I was in charge of lining up rental vehicles and helping rent cabins, but catering fell under my purview. And it was like, we're going to be filming until four o'clock in the morning in the National Forest you got to have hot meals ready for these guys. And I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to make this happen. Uh, Cause you know, everything in the off season closes at like 9 PM. And so my friend Paul who owns that place was like more than happy to help and stayed late and stayed after hours and made food for us and then put it in That's hot right. boxes. For, you know, I'd have to like leave the national forest at like midnight, drive back into town and meet him and like pick this stuff up at like 1am and drive it back to the national forest. But, uh, it was super helpful. So thanks so much, Paul Rampula and, and Nakuchi Tavern for helping us out. Nice. You know, we had those cool cabins too. Remember Cliff Moneymaker fell asleep in the hot tub floating on his back. <laughs> yeah. And he woke yeah, up was... and the heat turned off and he was frozen into the bone. Oh man, that, that was a bad mistake. They put all four of the cast members in the same cabin and that's not a good, I mean, not a good recipe right there at all. Oh, and then Renee was upset about the mess that you made with Pruitt and, um, and, uh, and, and Bounds, Tyler Bounds. Remember, she came back that one time. She's all bent out of shape because you guys were, you know, watching TV and having a couple beers or something. And it's like, man, I just want to get away. <laughs> yeah. They, they never put us in with Renee. Yeah, Renee's got OCD compulsion for cleanliness. She's very fastidious. Yes. And she was going nuts. And it was like nothing. It was like a couple pizza boxes and a few empty beers. Like it wasn't like a mess some newspaper stuff around too i mean it looked like you were like letting chickens loose in the house and making sure they didn't, the crap doesn't get on the floor but it wasn't like that maybe maybe it was so you didn't crap on the floor <laughs> all right everybody ready to get jump jump back into this thing here we go there's big john he he's a cool guy he was like one of those you know he was a badass but he was also a really nice guy underneath it real sweetheart yeah this was a hard spot to get to. And I remember when we were doing the pre-production, uh, the producers wanted me to like find a location that looked like it. And I was like, look, I, I know these guys, they are not going to be willing to go to someplace that looks like they're going to want to see the actual spot. And so uh, they were like, well, you got to wait across the river. So I had to go to the local outfitter and like get all your sizes and rent waiters for you so that you could uh, cross that freezing cold river, which was probably like nearly waist deep. It was definitely above knee deep. Uh, it's up spots to get across. You can see it there. But I'm, I'm just glad that they went with it and because it would have been a lot easier to just shoot in some other spot in the creek there. But uh, it was authentic for sure. Yeah, they don't learn anything not going to the real set. They always wanted us to not go. They wanted to do the easy out. And I'm like, no, 
we were like, we're not going to learn anything if we're just fake where we're at. Look at young Cliff. Yeah, this is a real interesting, and this is probably a great, uh, well, this is one of my favorite things about this particular episode, because from the moment we got out of the car, we're thinking, oh, this is a really interesting area. We had to hike about maybe a half mile through woods to get over to the trail system where these prints were. On the walk in, and for the next hour and a half while we were there, we were hearing knocks. They, the Sasquatches were there while we were filming it. We heard knocks on the walk in and, uh, and as we're poking around the rest of the day. Yeah, this guy, Jeff, I know very well. And he's, 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 a cool. real, he's a real man's man. But I'll tell you, like, he was unnerved enough by the presence of those tracks when he initially discovered them that when we went back there, if you remember this, um, he had a sidearm on. And he was like, I'm not going in those woods without a sidearm. And so just for appearance, it was like, hey, will you tie your jacket around your waist so it doesn't look like, you know, we're walking around the woods carrying guns. And so that's why he has that jacket tied around his waist, if you remember that. I know that feeling, dude, after I had my first gnarly encounter. I I was packing for quite a while after that. I was so freaked out. You know, I pulled a couple of reports from this location since then. Um, I don't know if they saw the, uh, the, 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 you know, the episode and sent it to me because of that. But we also spoke to a, an older couple that had a cabin on Bull Mountain here that had seen Sasquatches there before. So this area has a lot of history in it. Were, Matt, Matt said, I think this guy's lying, and then he was going to come – Kick, kick moneymaker's butt. Remember that? He was like... I do remember that Matt didn't believe him, so... But that's the thing. You know, some people maybe... I don't know. I wasn't there. I I, I think I had a beer with John, you know, at, at that pizza place, but I didn't I didn't listen to his uh, his sighting report at the location. Um, even if he even if he's not telling the truth, it almost doesn't matter for Bigfooting in general. I mean, well, it doesn't matter for Bigfooting in general. Those outliers will fall away. So many people report things. And I, I, I don't see any reason why I should doubt that he is not telling the truth, of course. But. Well, Matt couldn't believe that the log fell silently, but when they're that old and rotten and water sog like that, it just sounds like a clump of snow, like when a clump of snow falls off the roof. It sounds like that. I mean, it's real soggy. Cliff's walking the, uh, the hippie route, barefooted. <laughs> As I want to do. Do you, have to, do you have to tell yourself, don't walk duck-footed when you do that, Cliff? No, I can't help it. I was born that way, man. No, I mean when you're doing the recreation of a stepping. Uh, no, no, because if I'm if I'm leaping at all, you know, it just kind of naturally forms that way. Awkwardly, yes, says Renee. Renee, I challenge you. Name me one thing that I do that is not awkward. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I, I can't roll. Think of any? Exactly. Now we we're filming this scene when Tyler runs up. Tyler's all sweaty and he's like, "Oh my god!" Like, like I can clearly tell that he, something is up. And he reports to us as we're filming the scene that he dislocated footprints down the road on this little like washout where uh, water erosion happens and make, like brings all the silt down in this particular area. So even though they play it on television, like I found the footprints, that's not the case. Uh, Tyler Bounds actually found the footprints down, down, right down the trail, downhill from here. Uh, but of course, Tyler isn't on camera. He's not a character on the TV show. So that's one of these times that we we changed the story for the television's sake. That caused a big stink, though. I mean, we had we were like, no, we got to have Tyler come in the show. And they're like, no, we can't have people coming in all the time. And I kind of at the time I disagree, but now I understand why they did that. Yeah, now I understand. So yeah, this is where Tyler found the footprints. Um, there were two of them, spaced something like seven feet apart, if I remember right. Um, of course, that was a left and a left, or maybe a right and a right. No, it was okay. It was a right and a right. And like, who the heck's running off down that slope? And, and, he, and he didn't mark him. You had to find him yourself when you walked down there. He just told you where to where to go down that trail. 
Yeah, yeah, he told him. And so that there was some discovery happening there, I guess. But yeah, I remember after you cast these, there was some worry that the production company was going to take them. Yeah. Like, we got to get these. We got to get these out of here. And so we had some of those leftover pizza boxes at the cast cabin, and my mom came to visit to meet everybody. You know, and so uh, I think we sent them. We sent them with my mom, like those fresh footprint casts in a pizza box. You know. Well, yeah. They, they, I mean, they have the original that that one Josh Gates cast. The actually the real thing. You know that that Josh Gates got on that one show. Um, and then the Bhutan prints. They're in the production company office, but why? Like it's it's in LA. Like why would you keep good evidence there of all places? You know, so um, I, I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to copy them and like share them appropriately and get the evidence out there. So when um, the producer Natalie says, "Hey, yeah, uh, they they want they want you to ship these back to the production company office," I went, "What? No, no." And then Natalie goes, "Well, that's between you and them." I said, "Great." And so we we whisked them away with Pruitt's mother, and I, we told her, "Don't do anything with these unless you know I tell you what to do with them, or you know, don't don't do anything that the production company wants, um, and at least until we have a chance to copy them." And then that caused a big hullabaloo, and I had to spend a lot of time on the phone with the owners of the production company, and uh, basically they conceded to let me copy them at least, um, and they have a copy, you know, they have copies in the shop now, so I, I could distribute a couple of copies to various people who might be interested. So um, whatever that's worth, that was one of the early butting of heads with the production company again, but they came around, you know, we complained about the production company, mostly for season one, they eventually came around and uh, conceded and they, I think that everybody was the winner because of that, because they let us have a little bit more control. Um, It's real Bigfoot stuff happening in here. Nothing's faked at all. And um, they eventually, you know, saw that, yeah, they could trust us with that, you know, a little bit different. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Look how glorious your hair is, Bobo. It's magnificent. Luxurious. Exotic plumage. (laughs) It attracts potential mates and wards off competing males. Which is why Moneybaker had to grow his out. The, the constant dominance, like hierarchy battle. <laughs> I won, but then I abdicated the throne. Well, look at that face from Moneymaker. <laughs> you believe I they exist? <laughs> Dude, I just watch Moneymaker's face all the time and just laugh. He's, he's so expressive. He's very uh, expressive, to say the least. I was so hungover that day. <laughs> I was partying pretty hard season one because I thought, I bet they'll come back here. This way it ended in a month. <laughs> yeah, and the production company changed the entire schedule around for us just so we could cast these prints. We were there way after dark. Um, it was a big deal, you know. It was a real big deal because these are real things in the ground that we that Tyler found, and we had an opportunity to cast on camera. They rearranged the schedule for us, so got to be thankful for that. And we had to go back like a, a half mile or so, three quarter of a mile to the car to get the casting material and the whole nine. It was a big hullabaloo. Was that the first ones you ever poured in the ground, Cliff? I can't remember. Maybe. They might have been. I think they the first were. turned out to be Sasquatch prints, at least, you know? Right, right. This is where I finally got to make my television debut. Uh, only on camera briefly, but frustratingly, when we were scouting, you know, I was having to go off in, into all these wooded places to show Natalie everything and see everything. And at some point I had touched either poison ivy or poison oak or something and then touched my face. And so by the time we filmed this, I had this blistering scab sore, like the size of a silver dollar on my forehead, like right between my eyebrows. And they're like, Hey, you want to be on camera? And I was like, Oh, great. 
So uh, in the few shots you see, I have this uh, winter cap pulled down like right to my eyelids, like Cartman or something, because it would have looked like I had leprosy or something otherwise. But yeah, we filmed this. This was like way behind one of those gates in the uh, Chattahoochee National Forest that, you know, there was nobody out there whatsoever, like miles past this gate where no one has access to. So we had the trusty R2-D2s out there. Yeah, that was cutting edge back in the day, but nowadays there's like they're so much smaller and cooler and better than that. Those ones were loud, but I don't know why we didn't use those every freaking episode. If we really were trying to get footage, we should have that thing running every episode. I used to drive me crazy. I said, "We we already used it. We can't use it twice," which was stupid because we we used handheld thumbs every episode. We'd never get mad out of the car though. We'd always want to be in the car driving around. This is really rough in it in terms of field research when you're just yeah. <laughs> sitting in a in a heated vehicle <laughs> so crawling up a Ford Service road. But yeah, I remember they wanted to do this like caravan, and so it certainly looks like a big caravan on camera for sure. Yeah, I don't like this kind of stuff. I want I'd rather go in quietly and slink around. After all, you guys left. Tyler and I stayed up there, like way up on top of the mountain, doing calls and listening for quite a while. But they, it was dead quiet by that point. But you guys had heard something like while we were filming. But then subsequently, there was nothing. But it was great being out there, you know, because we just knew, like, after all, you guys left. Like we're the only people out there. And also remember, like you remember, Bobo, they wanted you to have to like chase after the thing that that Georgia saw, and oh, right. we'd already identified exactly what it was. It was an owl. And you were like, I'm not chasing after it. And they were like, look, it, it will make more sense on camera if you chase it, because then it gives us a reason to follow you to solve what it was that was seen. And you were like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I remember, I think it was uh, Bisha said, I'll give you the rest of my trout pasta, because my buddy Paul had whipped us up this awesome rainbow trout pasta. And you're like, okay, I'll do it. And I remember <laughs> you, you told me and Tyler, don't tell anybody I sold out for trout pasta. And then now I'm telling everybody. <laughs> Secret is out. I like to eat. It was it was outstanding trout pasta, that's for sure. It was good. I'm so much soul for it. So there was Bobo running. I can feel Bobo's palpable hunger for trout pasta in the way he ran. <laughs> See, it's like it's tangible. Dude, you got me thinking about that now. God, I'm getting the munchies. Oh, uh, Pavlovian drooling. Yes. So yeah, Matt had heard something in response down there. That's why Tyler and I stayed behind with some audio recorders afterwards to see if we could get anything else but it was pretty quiet after that yeah that looks kind of demonic on night shot (laughs) (laughs) like that before a call definitely does not feel like this was 10 years ago seems like 20 look at this it's so funny to look back on all this i just remember bits and pieces of all this and i can't remember exactly i just remember like i could have told you step by step everything that happened now I barely remember anything about them. All right. And here's the, the, the wrap-up of the episode and the credits and all that sort of stuff. Evan Stone, Chad Barron, Hugo. Wow, all these names. People that we spent time on the road with. and Yeah. There you go. I just pushed pause. I don't think it matters that we all push pause together at the very end there. But uh, that was – I don't know. How do you guys feel about this? We'll find out. I'm sure we'll get some, I'm sure we'll get some strong feedback. Oh, yeah. We usually do. <laughs> Well, it was a good episode, and, I, and it is kind of fun going back and watching the early ones because, uh, you know, uh, first season, yeah, we bumped heads with the production. We didn't trust them because we didn't know if they're going to make it into some sort of like 
you know, uh, th- those shows where like they get a bunch of um, pig headed individuals and make them live together. So they argue, you know, we thought it'd be like one of those reality shows if we weren't careful. So we we're always real cautious about what we said to the camera and how we reacted and stuff. Um, and, you know, and also we wanted to keep it authentic because whether the show is successful or not, we're still Bigfooters. And, you know, if you lie in Bigfoot or you're involved in some sort of hoax, that's it for you. That's it. Um, you know, eventually the unfortunate community, you know, forgets too quickly in some cases, I believe. But um, for the most part, you know, your, your reputation is everything in Bigfoot. And as long as you have a reputation of honesty, then they'll forgive you when you're wrong. Right. But um, these early episodes, we were so cautious and paranoid about stuff. Um, it's kind of neat how we eventually had that all turn around and we could actually uh, produce a show that was honest and truthful and showed real Bigfoot activity um, and real recordings and real photographs and real this and that, you know, and, and, and still have it be a success. And when Chad Hamill, our producer, was on the show and we talked to him, he said it is pretty much the most real reality show he's ever worked on. You know, and eventually Finding Bigfoot came out to be something that we could be proud of, proud of being associated with and proud of working on. So these new episodes were kind of the the crucible, you know, of where we all, all the different forces were pushing against one another. And we can finally find some sort of equilibrium between good entertaining TV and good real Sasquatch uh, investigation. Yeah, it was a so that was a blast from the past. I haven't seen that since, you know, since we did it. I guess with that, I, I want to encourage you, the listeners out there, to uh, write us with your opinion. Did you enjoy this? Did you not like it? You know, try to be nice about it if you didn't like it, because if you're a jerk, we're probably just not going to read your email or maybe block you. So, um, But try to be cool about it and let us know what you really think. You know, Is this something you want to see or hear more of, I guess? Hear more of, because you, you don't see us. But we could do this with other things, too. We could do it with like Legend of Boggy Creek or... Yeah. You know, it's something like that. Uh, uh, any of those uh, cool documentaries or schlockumentaries or movies or anything. This might be a fun way to get people uh, watching other people's stuff, you know? Yeah, I'm down. I'm sure, uh, I mean, we got a hundred big, finding big fish to do. So that's quite a few episodes of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Boba, why don't you take us home? Okay. All right, folks, let us know what you thought about us narrating along an old episode of Finding Bigfoot. If you want to hear more of that, uh, we'll do it. If not, we won't. But till next week, thanks for listening and keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 